Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Glory to God. In your Bibles tonight, turn to the book of Philippians. Thank you, Jesus. Philippians chapter 1. Now, we've kind of been studying what we're calling the sign, sign of the times, signs of the times. Praise God. Let me find, make sure I got my other scripture marked. There we go. Praise God. You can go, to, go there. And then we'll go to Matthew 11 after that. Now, hear this prayer. I love this prayer that Paul prayed. I pray this over myself constantly. Verse 9, it kind of ends like this. It says, in this I pray that your love, everybody say your love. That your love may abound yet more and more, yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Now notice how love, the foundations of love are knowledge and judgment. That you would make correct judgment, have knowledge of how you're supposed to walk in love. Now notice the next verse, verse 10. That you may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere, and I'll notice the phrase, and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, let's read this in the Amplified. It says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and in keen insight that your love may display itself in a greater depth of acquaintance and more comprehensive discernment so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral difference and that you may be untainted and pure, unerring, blameless, so that with heart sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ not stumbling nor causing others to stumble. That not stumbling nor causing others to stumble is the definition of offense. The, the word offense literally means to, to stumble, to fall, or to be victimized, or to be violated. Now, as we've said, we've been speaking on, you know, uh, uh, things that are going on uh, in this day, in this hour, and one of the things that you have to guard yourself on more than anything else in this day and hour is offense, of getting, just getting offended. There are so many dramas going on in the earth, in the United States, in Texas, in Galveston. There are so many dramas going on that have a victim bend to them. And they're designed to sweep you in to that drama and create a mindset of victimization. And I'm going to tell you, they want to use you, your, your medical condition, your ethnic background, your political uh, persuasion, whatever it is, I'm guaranteeing you for just about everything that's out there, there's a hook in it that's designed to pull you into a place of offense where you begin to think you're a victim. You think you've been violated. Amen. But the problem is Jesus didn't die for you and he didn't shed his blood for you for you to live as a victim. He died for you and shed his blood for you so that you could live as more than a conqueror. And victim mentality is literally a commodity today. 
because people know with it they can raise large amounts of money. With it they can sway masses of people. With it they can communicate in all different kinds of ways over the internet, on TV, news programs, all this kind of stuff. And it's amazing how the more, the more people assimilate it into their life and spread it to others around them, how it almost becomes like what we want to see in a revival. You've got a revival of victimization and offense going on right now. And if you're not careful, it'll sweep you into it. Now, secondly, that same spirit that's manifesting in the world right now in some of the, in some of the most profound strength that it has ever had has been very alive and relevant in the church over the last 20 years. There's never been more people get offended in churches. There's never been more people leave churches. There's never been more people get offended at pastors, at the way things are done, at this and that. Now let me just say something. Number one, offense has its own language. Did you know that? Just like we talk about the language of righteousness, speaking faith, offense has its own language. It's called criticism. That's what it is. You ever heard anybody criticize somebody on the news lately? <laughs> Seems like that's all they do. And here's the way it works. They find someone to criticize, and then they criticize the people that are criticizing them. But if you're not criticizing them, then they criticize you. Did you get that? Because I don't want to go through it again. <laughs> I mean, that's the way it is. In churches, it's been an insidious plot of the adversary to do everything he can do to diminish the strength, the ability, the effectiveness, and the purpose of what church should be. He literally wants to take individuals, and I'm telling you, the Galveston County's full of them, Galveston's full of them, Houston's full of them, they're everywhere, of people that have gone from church to church to church to church, have gone from problem to problem to problem to problem, to situation to circumstance. I don't know what they're looking for. Maybe a perfect church, perfect pastor, I don't know, place where maybe angels in charge, I don't know what it is. But as long as humans are involved, there's going to be opportunity for offense and being offended. Amen? Now let me just, let me help you. Because I'm telling you, when I get through with this, you're going to get so delivered from all your offenses and you're going to be inoculated where you'll, where you'll never be offended anymore. Let me tell you, this, this, the Lord literally spoke this to me by the Spirit. He said, tell this to the church. The strongest force of offense is the offense that happens to you that offends you when you're right. I'm right. And I'm offended. And I'm right. And I'm offended. Got quiet in here. Where's my pen? I'm going to drop my pen. Amen. Ding. <laughs> Amen. And the thing is, you can be right, but if you being right has created offense in your life, then you're wrong. Now let me say that again. You may be right, but if offense has come into your life, even though you are right, you're wrong. Because it's wrong to be offended whether you're right or wrong. It does not matter. God shows us all through His Word 
that we are called and demanded by him and very much exclamated by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to love one another. Now we can throw everybody, amen, praise God. Well, let me just say something. It's not as easy as you think it is. You think it's really, we just love everybody. No, let me say something. <laughs> I wish it was easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be hard. But it is hard. And it is difficult to step, to step to the outside of humanistic love and enter into the agape love that God demands we walk in. Number one, it has no emotion connected to it. Could you, could you imagine trying to get married? without a type of love that had no emotion to it? Do you love me, honey? Yeah. <laughs> what difference does that make? <laughs> Amen. Wouldn't that be terrible? If you had no emotion, you had no, there was no chemistry, there was no, no, none of that, you know, no goosebumps or, or, or and, and then, you know, you got to go out and find somebody to live with the rest of your life. Oh, man. Dogs are better. <laughs> At least they'll lick your face, amen. <laughs> but the agape love of God does not carry that component. Oh, I wish it did. You say, why? It'd be a lot easier for me to figure out who I'm supposed to love. But it's not there. So therefore, we must let the Word of God be what sets the standard for our behavior when it comes to freeing ourselves from offenses and walking in the love of God. Because listen, if this is the day and the hour in which God's going to raise up the church and this is the church that one day will be raptured off of the earth, then we are destined and we are heading toward becoming a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And being a glorious church without spot or wrinkle is a church that not only knows how to love God, it knows how to love itself, it knows how to love each other, and it knows how to take that love to the world. Amen. Amen. Now go to Matthew 11. And I'm, I'm going to do my best not to just teach on offense because when you get off on that, then, then, then people begin to, you know, people begin to think, well, you know, maybe he's talking to me or maybe trying to... No, no, that's not, what, that's not my purpose. My purpose is trying to help you to understand that without efforts of love, offense is very easy to get into your life. And, and what, we, what is a phrase that we coined years ago about? Oh, if it's not an effort, it's not love. The God kind of love. That means that every person and every situation you go into in which you're demanded to walk in love, that means you have to put forth a great effort. Now, I really didn't understand that. Listen, I, I was in Bible school at Lakewood back in the mid-80s when there was just revival at Lakewood and all kind of wonderful things were going on. I thought I'd spend my life there. I thought I'd be a lifetime uh, member, you know, and, and work in ministry out of that wonderful church. And the Lord called me to another church, and, and it was a little church. And, it, and you know, there was, uh, 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 it was just barely starting to grow, barely starting to develop. And I had to interact with the pastor of that church, and he was as opposite from me as I am the east is from the west. And after about two weeks, I was ready to go. 
I mean, about two weeks, I was ready to go. We didn't have the same doctrine. We didn't. We did not have the same doctrine. We didn't have a lot of the same, how could I say this, uh, observation and application of ministry. He, listen, he was a consummate businessman and very good at it. And so everything was very meticulous in the way he ran things. Every, every T was crossed. Every I was dotted. All things were just, you know, in order the way they should be. And, and he put a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on the structure of that because he felt like he had things in order in such a way that you could, like, kind of like building a race car. I used to always liken pulpits that I would preach into cars. And some of them would be like old junkie trucks going down the road, so I never did tell them that, you know. But others were like race cars. And every time I got in the pulpit of this church, it was like a race car. It was something finely tuned, something that would, you know, something that would, would go down the track quick and make the turns. I mean, it was, just, it was just great to preach there, great to minister there. But then as I interacted over the years in ministerial development, Bible school development, all other kinds of what I would call interpersonal ministry. Man, I'll tell you what. I ended up offended so many times in which I was just ready to throw everything down, go do something else, go leave, figure out what God was you know, trying to tell me, trying to do all, in all of this. And one day God spoke to me and said, let me tell you something. He said, there are areas of every person's life that are hardened. And those hardened areas are not like the soft clay areas that the potter can put his hand in and mold. And he said, those hardened areas of life cannot be molded with my hand, but they must be chiseled. He said, I'll put a chisel to your character and I'll chisel some things out of you so that your soul can become pliable and soft again. And when the Lord said that to me, it delivered me from all of that stress of being offended. I know what it's like to be offended and be right. And then to get rid of that offense. I know what it's like to be offended and be wrong and get rid of that offense. And I, don't know, what I know what it's like to be offended and not know whether I was right or wrong but get rid of the offense. Here's the key. If you're going to walk free from offense, right or wrong can't be the issue. The offense has to be the issue. Amen? I mean, it'd be like getting treated for some terrible disease and they said, you know, well, here's the problem, you know. Uh, you got this horrible disease on the inside of you, but you know, there, you got this scratch on your elbow that we really need to attend to. Well, it may not be the scratch on your elbow you need to attend to. It may be the deadly disease that's trying to kill you. Amen. Now, in studying offense, and there's, there's, there's two other dimensions to it other than what we're going to study tonight, and I'll just throw them out to you real quick. I look like i got a little bit of time. And now that we got bathrooms, we can preach a little longer. Amen. <laughs> there's the offense people get because of the demand of the Word of God, Mark chapter 4. Those that are sown upon stony ground, who when persecution arises for the word, persecution and affliction arise for the Word's sake, immediately they are offended. They're violated, victimized, caused to stumble or fall. Then there's the offense that we have one toward another. When, when, uh, when, when, when people get, you know, you get mad at somebody in the church or somebody does something to you, something happens and they're uh, a fellow uh, brother or sister in Christ, there has to be forgiveness. Listen, where there's not forgiveness, there's never restoration. But where there is forgiveness, there is restoration. And listen, you have to learn to forgive. If you've never forgiven anybody, then you don't know how. Let me say that again. If you've never forgiven anybody, then you don't know how. 
So you may need to learn by the Word of God what it actually means to forgive somebody. Actually, let me say it like this, to release somebody from an offense, a mistake, a wrong, a hurt, a misdeed, or anything else you can come up with to release yourself and release them from it. Amen? Because if you don't, what you do is you bind it, you bond it to yourself, you weld it to yourself, and then you become the partaker of what that offense is. Let me say it like this. You become a victim. Now you're a victim. Man, I saw this a lot. When God began to move in prosperity in the mid-90s, and people would get inspired to give. That's why you can't be inspired to give. You have to be informed to give. I didn't like inspirational offerings. I, I just didn't like them. I liked the Word. I liked the Word when people would lay out the Word. This is what the Word says. Let the Word convince me. Let the Word give me faith. But there was a lot, a ton of inspirational giving. And after the inspiration would wear off, people would get offended. Amen? I mean, I was literally, Lee and I were in a meeting in, in Gonzales, Louisiana, in which they took five offerings. Remember that, sweetheart? And I'm telling you, every offering after the first one, people got up and left. A few more to leave, a few more to leave. About that third or fourth one, man, they really left. And the fifth offering they took, I, there was, what, maybe 300 people left out of, a, out of an auditorium of probably 3,500 people. And did you know that the, the, the first offering was this much, but the second offering was more? And the third offering was even more. And the fourth offering was even more. And the fifth offering was more than all the other four combined. And remember that lady got a car and someone got a house and God began to do all these wonderful things. But all of those people that were sitting there, every time they'd take another offering, they'd get offended. They'd get up and walk in. I'm sitting here for another offering. Try to get my money again. And people, listen, that's what happens. That's the design of it. And you have to understand, church, the human family is a fallen family. And when you get born again, you step into God's family. But you still got a lot of junk in your flesh and in your mind that is unique to you because you were once in the human family. That's why God, uh, God shows us we have to present our body a living sacrifice and we have to renew our minds with the Word of God because in doing that, now listen, this is a good point, in doing that, you outgrow the, obili the ability for offense to get into you and dominate you. Now, did I tell you, Matthew 11, real quick. We may have to do this in a couple of weeks. Came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples. That's verse 1. He departed thence to teach, to preach in their cities. Now when John, the word John, there's John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come or should we look for another? Jesus answered and said, Go tell or go show John again those things which you do. Hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame, are clean, the, lame, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, in, in studying this and, and picking this apart and meditating on it, the offense that's being talked about here is the offense of people that really get offended at the way God does things. And the reason people get offended at the way God does things is they don't understand how God does things. And that's been one of the greatest tragedies in the church 
all churches have suffered under the blight of offense that gets into people because they are judging how God should do something in their life. And when it doesn't happen like that, they're offended. They're victimized. That goes all the way back to the fall. That goes all the way back to the very lie that Satan used to convince Eve that she should eat that piece of fruit. You know what he did? He got her eyes. How many trees do you think were in the garden? I mean, there were, oh, there were fruit trees and there were nut trees and there were, you know, beautiful shade trees and there, every kind of tree you could think of. But the ability of the adversary to engage her in a, quote, spiritual conversation got her eyes off all the trees that legally belonged to her and got her eyes on the one tree she could not have. Amen. And we know when Adam and the woman were found, and God began to deal with them, Adam, the first thing he did was blame the woman, but in actuality he was blaming God. It's that woman you gave me. Why did you do it like this, Lord? Why did you build this garden? Why did you let that snake in here? Why did you put that tree in here? Amen? Oh, come on, that's, that's, if that, you, let me tell you what that is. Because if you don't realize what that is, then you won't know. You say, what is it? It's human nature. You say, well, human nature. That means the potential of it is in every one of us. It's human nature. And honey, you're living in a day and an hour in which they're playing it like the Pied Piper and leading people into hell itself with all kinds of offense. And I'm telling you, they know just how to play it. They know just how to do everything they need to do to just bring the masses into this huge offensive mess is what it is. I listened to a deal the other day. He said, well, if this guy gets elected, then we're going to contest it, and we're going to use the military and get him out, and we're going to burn the city, and we're going to burn the country down. And then the other side said, well, if this guy gets elected, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to contest it, and we're going to burn the country down. When's somebody going to wake up and say the country doesn't need to be burnt down? And all these people talking about, well, America's going to end as we know it. Why does it have to? It's just petty victimization and offense. And it's on every level. It's political, it's medical, it's social, it's racial, it's all this stuff. I read a deal the other day. I thought, my God. No wonder things are happening the way they are. The number one subject, how many know the number one subject being preached in pulpits all over America right now? Does anybody know who we are in Christ? Walk in love? Get delivered from offense? Prosperity? Healing? No. You know what it is? Number one subject preached in the pulpits of America. Racism. Pastor, you need to preach on racism. Why? Don't you know what it is? Don't you know what it is? And don't you absolutely know how to cure it? Love thy neighbor as you love yourself. And put that in practice. It can't be that simple. It, no. No. Can't be that. Yes, it's that simple. 
Let go of everything the world, the flesh, and the devil is trying to put into your mind and walk in love toward everybody around you. Love them like Jesus loves you. And all that stuff goes away. It all goes away. Did you know that? Jesus is the answer for all these problems that are going on right now. His love, His grace, His mercy is the answer for everything that's going on right now. Amen? Now here's old John the Baptist. Bless his heart. I was going to title this The Book of John the Baptist. The Book of John the Baptist. You say, what do you mean the Book of John the Baptist? Notice the Book of John the Baptist is not in your Bible. You say, what do you mean? It should be. This should have been his life. Becoming that which Scripture said about him. Foretold the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his way straight. I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me who I'm not worthy to tie his shoe lest. He'll baptize thee with the Holy Ghost and fire. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He should have been there at the crucifixion. He should have been there at the resurrection. He should have been in the upper room. He should have stepped out of the Old Testament prophet office into the New Testament prophet office and showed us how the correct transition was made. But he was not there. He was beheaded by a wicked king because he went to the wrong place at the wrong time and preached the wrong message to the wrong person. Now think about that. He went to the wrong place at the wrong time. The little bit of information we have on that, that court of Herod, he was a wicked, wicked, wicked man, and he's, he's married his brother's wife. His brother's wife has some kind of tart for a daughter. They dance before him, and they want John the Baptist's head on a charger. Now, do you think that is a home conducive for the gospel to be preached? Let's have a Bible study here. No! They're a bunch of rank heathens serving the devil with everything they had. He tried to seduce the daughter of his wife by offering her half of the kingdom. You just want to get ugly? That's what it is. That's what it was. And John is there. What are you doing there, John? Why are you there? So, all of these years I've I've thought about and meditated and thought, man, what happened? He was offended. How many would you agree with he was offended? Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended in me. John obviously got offended. He was offended. And listen, this is, this is just how we could, we could make it simple. He's offended at how things turned out. He had more than just that connection with Jesus at the Jordan River. He was actually a second cousin. Elizabeth and Mary were first cousins. So he had family connection. He had spiritual connection. Because Jesus was fulfilling all of the prophecies about him as John was fulfilling all the prophecies about himself. Amen. And Jesus had what? Jesus had an express set pattern of what to do and how to do it as dictated by God. The words that I say, they're my fathers. The deeds that I do, they're my fathers. 
So he goes about choosing 12 disciples to follow him. And if you go do a study of all of the disciples, really only a couple of them are the pick of a litter. The rest of them are pretty questionable. Did you know who Judas Iscariot, do you know what Iscariot means? Do you know what that means? He was a locksmith. That's what the word Iscariot means in, in Aramaic. It means locksmith. And so what was he? So, so Jesus goes, oh, so you're a locksmith. You get to handle the money. <laughs> you get to handle the money. And what was he doing? He was stealing the money and critical of every offering anybody ever gave. Expect, especially Mary, uh, the, 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 the sister to Martha, who poured all that very expensive. I read a commentary the other day that said, while those Roman soldiers were crucifying Jesus, they had the smell of that anointing oil in their noses. No wonder they said, you know what that anointing oil was? That was the apothecary's mixture of what they used in the temple. You know what they were saying? It smells like God. It smells like God. But John did not get picked as a disciple. John really, I, we have no record of him ever really hanging out with him or following him around or going anywhere or showing up at the temple with him or anything like that. John was called as one whose voice was what? Crying? And he was geographically located by the Word of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? To be geographically located by prophecy in the Old Covenant. Amen? Brian of Hitchcock. Ephesians 3, 7. You'd know right where to live, wouldn't you? Amen? Rick of Galveston. Glory to God, I don't have to figure out where I'm supposed to live. Amen? Because you knew God identified you with a geographical location and at least in one thing in your life, you're in the will of God. So John is what? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. So look around, John. Hmm. We're in Jerusalem. We're in the king's court. Amen. Which shows us the ability of offense to blind you to your place. To just blind you. And when we figure that out, then we understand that there is a place that God wants everyone to be. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and we, we'll pick this back up again next week. And he spoke to me and he said, there are many people right now who have gone into a dormant state spiritually because they're so offended. And people get offended, and you know, people hear stories of offense and get offended. And people hear secondhand, thirdhand, and fourthhand stories of a, the most incredible thing that I ever saw, and I, I, to this day I marvel at it, was back in 1987. Lee and I had been, been uh, ministering about a year. We'd been married a year. I've been ministering since 1984, about three years. And a very well-known evangelist, for lack of a better word, fell. He got caught in a very bad situation, and it was splashed all over the media and everybody. And I happened to be holding uh, some revival meetings in some of the denominational churches in which this minister was affiliated with and connected to. Now, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, none of them pastors knew this man personally. The only story that they knew was the stories that were told on ABC and NBC, CBS, and all the news outlets of the time that was around in 1987. 
But I never saw such offense. Galatians 6 1. Those that are caught in a fault, restore. In a spirit of meekness, at least the same thing come upon you. And instead of restoring, they got offended. Because offense will always cause you to act just the opposite of the Word of God. They became vindictive. They begin to just, you know, the, 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 the initial situation that had happened, it just exploded where everybody knew something now. Amen. But one of the greatest testimonies of God, not of the church, but of God, is that that man is still in ministry today. His entire family's in ministry today. He has, a, he has a television network that goes around the world and he's still affecting people because of the goodness, the mercy, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he understood and realized that the callings of God were without repentance. Therefore, instead of people restoring him, God restored him. Wouldn't you like someone to restore you if you got in trouble? Amen. Amen. Wouldn't you like somebody to, 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 to love you when you did something unlovable, to help you when you did something unhelpable, with, to, 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 to reach out to you when you get yourself in a situation that's embarrassing, detrimental? And I heard this, and you know, I was just young in the ministry then, and I heard this, well, you know, the body of Christ, it's the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. We can't do that in these days, church. My last statement. Faith worketh by love. And these days that we are living in, just to come to church now takes extraordinary faith. Did you know that? You have to have faith enough that you're not going to get sick. You have to have faith enough that something's not going to happen to you, you know, on the way to church or on the way from church. You have to have faith enough to, to be around people. You have, to, you have to have faith enough because if you don't have faith, you're going to have fear. This is not a, a time in which you're walking in between the two. You're either in faith or you're in fear. And listen, I, I, I say this because I know there's people watching on the, uh, the, uh, the, the live stream right now and, and, the, and your testimony has come back to me. Is, oh, I can't come back to church. I'm afraid I'm going to get this virus. Well, I'm praying that faith will rise up into you to the point that you're not afraid to come to church anymore. Because we've got about a third of the congregation that's like that. And they need to understand that it's really not, the, the, this virus is not the issue. The issue is faith or fear, love or offense. Because you try to correct anybody that's doing what the CDC says, what Dr. Fauci's saying, and what they're telling you on the television. And you try to correct anybody who's not wearing a mask or is not doing this or doing that. Can't you see when you're being conditioned? Can't you tell when they're running things on you in order to condition you for things that are coming down the road? Ungodly things. Harmful things to yourself and your family. Harmful to your faith. They're just a bunch of rebellious people. They probably, everybody at church probably sick. Well, if we were, we're healed. Somebody asked me the other day, why don't you wear a mask? I said, because I'm not sick. That blew their minds. It's not for you. See, 
You do it for me. Now hold on. See that? Doesn't that sound righteous? Oh. That's so righteous. That's, you're doing it for the other. If you're not sick, you're not sick. How do you do anything for anybody with something that you don't have? They take even common sense. This is Satan's system. They take even common sense and move it and put it in such a place and then they tell you what they want you to hear and say, this is common sense. And one day this is what it will be. You need to take this mark here between your thumb and forefinger or right between your eyes on your forehead so that you can buy and sell. Now, I don't know anybody who teaches on eschatology that tells us that's pre-rapture or post-rapture. Most agree that it's post-rapture. What if it's not? What if it's not? What if this time next year we're required? We're required by law. Come on, church. Getting quiet in here. Did you know God knows all that's coming? Did you know he knows every detail of everything the devil's trying to do? Past, present, and future? Don't you know he has a plan to keep us healthy, to keep us blessed, to keep us unoffended, and to keep us walking in love, manifesting his glory? Amen. Now listen, I saw this in the Spirit. I saw revival so strong, no matter what they say outside of it, they'll be intimidated to try to shut it down. Because people will be coming to churches every night, every night. God will be moving. People will be getting saved, and they'll be the miraculous in operation. People will be coming out of wheelchairs. There'll be ambulances backed up. People will be leaving, uh, leaving on their feet that came in in ambulances, and it will be so intimidating to the media, to the government, and everybody else. They're just going to act like it doesn't exist. They're just going to turn their face and walk away. You say, I don't believe that. Then read the testimony of the other revivals that have taken place in the world where they did the same thing. Where there was reason to shut them down. They tried to shut them, listen, they tried to shut them down at Azusa. You know why, do you know why they tried to shut them down at Azusa? Does anybody know? Because of the flies. Because people would be piled up, laid out in the Spirit of God, power of God all over them, and flies would come in and land all over them. So it was unsanitary. So somebody saw that and thought, we got to do something about this. <laughs> Amen. You know what they did? Nothing. Because five times a day, there were 800 people in the building and 3,500 standing outside. God knows what he's doing. What we have to do is to search our hearts, search our lives, dig out every little dark corner, every little dark spot, Get rid of all offense. Really learn how to walk in love one toward another because in that walking in love one toward another, that is how we protect one another. We don't transmit offense. We don't transmit victimization. And we don't enter into the victimization of the world. Amen. How did I go so long? Anyway, it's good anyway, wasn't it? <laughs> Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Father, we worship you tonight. Now, Father, I thank you tonight that the simplicity of our understanding through the example of your prophet, John the Baptist. You put that, you, you could have hid that from us, Lord. You could have hid the entire incident of John the Baptist, of him being beheaded, 
of you basically addressing his offense, you could have hid all of that from us. But Jesus, we know who you are. And we know that John is a man of God. And we know that that simple example is given to us to deliver us and inoculate us from the horrible epidemic of offense. And Father, we declare as this stirring of prayer continues, we've already seen it increase. We've sensed your glory and power. But as we continue in this summer now, every night with this stirring of prayer, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you come in and begin a season of restoration. There are those here now that need restoration. There are those that are not attending anymore that need restoration. Let us be humble enough let us recognize and realize that there's a bigger picture than our own feelings and emotions. Let us let go of the past. Let us forgive and let us walk in love and put out the effort in every area of life. Lord, as we continue in this teaching next week, arrive in our hearts in such a way that we hear the warning and see the danger signs and stand delivered and set free from anything the enemy tries to bind us with. Heavenly Father, give us great wisdom for we know the adversary is creating unprecedented dramas upon the earth right now. And Father, as we press as a church into the stirring, into the revival, into the wake awakening, and into the world harvest, that's destined for the church. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that we overcome every obstacle and that every foul demon spirit that tries to get us off the path is put under our feet by the power of God and the glory of his word. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, as we leave tonight, as is our tradition, even more important now than ever, in our travels, in the righteous labor of our hands, in our public interaction with retail stores, places of employment, all the other places we as people have to go to and interact. We thank you for Psalms 91, that no evil befalls us, no disease, no pandemic, no plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Father, thank you that our homes are places of worship, places of safety, and places of health. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for a great door of utterance. As we leave tonight, let every one of us be keenly aware of the fear and the panic of this world all the people in it. And Father, we pray. You spoke to us by the Spirit. You said a season of restoration. Let us humble ourselves. Let us as individuals initiate healing processes with those around us, those in our family, those in our church, those that we work with, those in our neighborhood, 
Let us not wait for the other to move. Let us move by faith and with conviction in our hearts and bring great healing. Lord, not only just to the church and the families of the, but to this island. There's always been such an offense on this island between families, it goes back hundreds of years, between businesses, between even different geographical locations upon the island, east end, the west end. Thank you, Father. Healing will manifest between churches, Lord. Thank you, Father, for a season of restoration in Jesus' name. Lord, as we leave tonight, we love you so much. We walk in faith and love towards you. Father, we also thank you for your blessing upon us. We walk in love one toward another, thanking you for our church, that you've given us one to another to do life with. Thank you, Father. As we overcome these obstacles, you mold our character. You chisel away and cut those facets into the diamond so that we can shine with your light. Father, we thank you that as we leave tonight here at Island Church, we declare we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy. Say that one more time. Say it out loud. Covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, anointed by the... Say it one more time. Covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.